Welcome to Closing Day. This podcast is for anyone looking to get into their very first home. The steps to buying a property are complicated. How much house can I afford? Where do I start? Should I just rent for the rest of my life? Hear from industry experts and get the answers. If you're looking to purchase your first home, you are in the right place. This podcast will help you get closer to closing day. Hey everyone, this is Cassie, producer of Closing Day, and I'm here with our host, Kyle Pucko. Hey Cassie, how are you today? Good. Good, good. So we just interviewed Katie Sadowski of Homeward. Awesome guest, tons of energy. I think everyone's really going to love this episode. Yeah, it was a ton of fun. She really was encouraging in the way she talked about budgeting for your dreams instead of just your goals and keeping in mind long-term things you know you're already going to pay, maybe going home for the holidays or changing your oil and spreading those costs out throughout the 12 months of the year instead of just finding yourself in a hole when you reach those um, places. Yeah, budgeting, certainly not the sexiest of topics in the world. But Katie does a great job of breaking it down in fun ways, anecdotes that everybody can can connect with, and using a bunch of metaphors that I thought really struck home. So excited to hear the episode today, and I think it piggybacks nicely on Julie's episode on just renting versus owning. Once you decide, yep, owning is the direction I want to go, the next step really for most is how do I save up for that down payment? And this gives you some building blocks to make that happen. Yeah, for sure. We're excited to listen to the episode. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We're here with Katie Sadowski from Homeward. She teaches the financial fitness class right here in Missoula, Montana. We're thrilled to have her on the on the podcast today. She comes to us with a wealth of knowledge, uh, working with folks in outdoor leadership, working with tax preparation, and most recently two years, again, teaching that financial fitness class right here in Missoula. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to kind of kick things off and just get an introduction of uh, what it is that, that you're doing over there at Homeward. And can you walk us through you know, some of your background? How did you get involved in financial fitness? What interests you about it? And why, I guess, why we chose to have you on today? Oh, man. Well, I'll start with Homeward. They're a fantastic organization. You know, one half of our organization does affordable and subsidized development here in town. You've probably seen some of our beautiful buildings, like the Solstice and Equinox building right there by the Russell Bridge. And then, um, Julie, my department, we are the education side. Um, So we like to help people with their financial future um, with the focus of homeownership. But a lot of parts of your financial world are uh, touched by trying to buy a house. So whether you're one or two years away from buying a house or 10 years away from buying a house, we're going to ca- try to capture you and help you with that. Very cool. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's two verticals. If you go to the bookstore, you might find a, a bunch of, a whole section on financial literacy mm-hmm. that is you know, a couple shelves away from the, from the real estate section. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of overlap in the two isn't there? Absolutely. And I think what I love and what's fascinating about my job is that in in my class, which is free and once a month, uh, an eight-hour class, basically everything you should have learned in high school about your finances, it is the most diverse group of people I've ever 
had the privilege of teaching to, I have people consistently who are 18 years old all the way to 68 years old, um, people who are currently unemployed to 100,000 household income in the same room, and they all get the same amount from the class because in general, we are just not financially literate here in America because it's not taught in high school. So it's kind of fascinating to see such a wide range of people in the same room. That is really cool. It's um, it's almost like jury duty in that way. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I never thought of that, but. So can you talk to us a little bit about, uh, I'm going to give you an example. So a student that's just graduated from college, um, they've got some debt, they're trying to figure out their next steps and, you know, they've just signed a lease and maybe they're a couple of years out. So they've, they've graduated, they've been paying down student loan debt, they're a couple of years out of school and they figure, you know, I'm going to be in this city or town for a while. I should think about home ownership. Can you talk about maybe what, what is their first step when it comes to budgeting? They don't have a budget. They, they take their paycheck, they spend it. And what, what advice would you have for that person that just sort of sees their paycheck come, paycheck come in and see the money go out? Right. I actually, I would say close to half of my clients are people ages 20 to 35 who are maybe just got their first good paying job or just got a pay raise and they're still living paycheck to paycheck and they want to be intentional about their future. Because what I say about building your financial future is it's really giving yourself options to live on your own terms Mm -hmm. when you're older. That's what it comes down to. You can call it financial freedom, and it's very esoteric and high level. And it's like, what does this really mean? It really means you can do what you want to do later in life. And that's where I try to convince the young people that it is important to save and be intentional for your future. Otherwise, you kind of have to live on someone else's terms. And that really hits home with a lot of people. But the where I start with those folks is um, – you know, usually I'm in, uh, intercepting people with mostly their debt. And to mm-hmm. me, I try to explain to them, like, there's two sides of debt. There's the big, the the front side of debt where I'm trying to teach you really good financial judgment so you don't get yourself into bad situations that you can't afford. And then there's the back side of debt, which you're already in debt. And now we're doing some of that strategizing to see how we can get you out um, the m- least painful way mm-hmm. and get you ready for what you want to happen. You know, we also work with renters as well because homeownership isn't always the answer for everyone. Um, And so it comes kind of back to that financial judgment. Um, Is this a good sustainable choice for me financially? Right, right. Even that decision, you know, we talked with Julie in the lap episode about renting versus owning. And so I'm sure you have those conversations. Like, It doesn't make sense for you to to own a home right now in Mm -hmm. in your financial financial world. Um, so let's say that somebody's decided that it does make sense, that they've, they want to move forward with saving for a home. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of their initial income should they think about putting away for a down payment? Well, I think it's good that you point out that people are um, dream-oriented. I don't want to say goal-oriented, right, because mm-hmm. sometimes goal really turns people off, but they're very much like it's hard to get someone to do something they don't want to do or are motivated for. So when you're asking me how much they should save, um, <clears throat> it's a combination of looking at what are your what's your financial big picture? Like, 
did you already commit to going to your sister's wedding in the fall? Plus you need new tires and you want a house in three years. Like what sounds exciting to you that you're willing to work for? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I start there and then we look at their capacity to save and that comes back to the budget. Yeah. So I'm not going to say to someone, you need to be saving, you know, <clears throat> 20% of your income <laughs> right. for your retirement. Um, when I'm not connecting it to what motivates them, what they can realistically do. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I think that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. that, and I like the dream-oriented piece because goals can be a bit deflating. They're not as, they're not as emotionally connected, right? Like, um, yeah, like I want to own my home. That's something I'm willing to work for. Or um, I don't want half of my monthly income going to debt <laughs> people want that monkey off their back you know yeah, yeah. chipping down debt um that's a big it's I, a I don't huge... want to say problem but it's a big no you can call it a problem yeah. i actually brought a statistic so 40 percent of u.s households have an average balance of 5,700 on their credit cards. And I say that to let your listeners know that you are not alone if you think you have a mm -hmm. high credit card balance. When you take out the people who pay that credit card monthly, then the balance jumps up to $9,333. And I looked up Montana specifically, we're actually in the top five in the country for credit card debt with an average of 9,759 wow. for credit card debt. And I was I was surprised at that statistic myself and I not by what I see in my clients. I see it in my clients fairly often. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I was thinking, well, it's they say debt is a lot like gaining weight, right? It's easy to gain the weight or get into the debt and your ability to get out of it is a whole nother issue. And because in Montana, we don't have the highest wages, I assume that's why we have such a high average balance because we get into it. But for with low income you, or lower wages, you can only incrementally get out. Mm -hmm. Do you have strategies for folks if they have, let's say, credit card debt, student loan debt, and a car payment? Mm -hmm. Do you say, hey, pay $100 on each every month, tackle one first, is it a case by case basis? Yeah. Um, gosh, I well, the uh, a website I really love is called smartaboutmoney.com. Totally check it out. They've got some really great tools there. Cool. My philosophy in the class is like, you can't tell me you don't know the answer to you can't find a quantitative answer because with all the online tools, accessible to us like you just you got to google it and you can at yeah. least find one more piece of information to help you figure it out so they have a restructuring debt for accelerated payoff uh tool there and you just type it in and figure out your strategy that's kind of the sexy part of my job right it's like ooh, how are we going to make biggest bang for your buck with this money <laughs> right. um and that that's a tool i use that you can as well cool mm -hmm. cool we'll make sure to include that in the show notes for folks to look up yeah um and, okay, so we're gaining some momentum. We're paying off debt. We're becoming disciplined. We have our dream. We're planning toward it. How soon or how far out should somebody start planning to save for a home? Five years? Do I need to, do I need to rent for five years and save before I can think about owning a home? Is it one year? Is it six months? Can you, can you provide some insight for our listeners who are renting right now and saying, well, okay, great. I've, I've got a little bit of debt, but what is my next step? How, how far should I plan out here? Um, well, it comes back to the client. And um, I'll, I mean, I'm instantly thinking of my husband. He is one of those super savers. Um, mm. At one point, 
he calculated how much gas it cost him to drive from the Rattlesnake to Missoula College. And when he found out it was like $2.53, he decided to start bike commuting in the winter. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> he is that kind of saver. He enjoys it that much. Um, for, the, for the rest of us in terms of planning for that, I partially think it comes back to that financial judgment piece. So if you will, I'll, I'll tell you the analogy. Like yeah. a lot of folks in Montana like to hike. And I say, okay, what's the – so why don't you tell me, what's the longest hike you've ever been on? Oh, probably seven miles. Okay, seven miles. So it's pretty far. Um, and before you hiked that, did you check yourself and make sure you didn't have like a broken ankle or you were sick, right? Your personal health was pretty good. Yeah, you're feeling like, okay, I'm getting out of the car. I'm feeling able-bodied. I'm feeling Let's able-bodied. And yeah. then um, did you happen to check the weather? Uh Kind of look out the window before getting into the car. Okay, I looked out the window. Yeah, yeah so, it, you know, if you were like, I'm going to hike this seven miles and make it back, 100% confident on that, you'd probably check your personal health and you would check the weather. For sure. So I say to that for people when they're trying to make decisions about these big trends, these financial decisions, whether it's a, a car loan or a house, I'm like, uh, let's check your personal health. Uh, how are your cash reserves? Do you live a break-even budget? Are you know like do does your income equal your expenses, or are you bleeding money every single month? Mm-hmm. Um, those type of things for personal health. And then I say, all right, let's look at your financial weather. Like what what can we predict? Obviously, we don't know everything, but um, are you pregnant? Is there a baby on the way? Are you gonna have a wedding that's gonna cost a lot of money. These not some of these non-negotiables that you're like, oh yeah, I have this timeline in my head mm-hmm. that I've committed to that I'm not willing to compromise on, but I forgot to do the math, so it's gonna like financially wreck me if I stick to my timeline. You and you can also like assess some other things like. Uh, are you working for a company that's on shaky ground and, you know, there might be, or you hate your job and therefore you might just for survival need to switch that job. So, I mean, I'm not expecting folks to be like an economist, but, you know, to some degree you can kind of foresee is the weather gray skies? Do we see a lightning storm on the horizon? Is it look like sunny skies when we're starting off? Because a lot of these commitments are, like an auto loan is going to be a three to five year commitment. A house is a 30 year commitment. Uh, you know, at Homeward, we, ju- we don't just help people get in. We help people stay in. So when people overbuy on a house, like we're there to help them because they can't handle that monthly payment. And, and some, uh, sometimes they can lose the house as a result. Like mm-hmm. it takes a few years, but still. Right. So having that financial judgment so you can kind of risk assess, I think makes people feel really confident about moving forward, right? They're like, okay, I know what my break-even budget looks like for my lifestyle. I can translate that into um, what, how many lattes a week I can buy or how many times I can see my friends at the bar. Like, I'm happy with this lifestyle. I've achieved the break-even budget. Great. Now you can know that you're able to cut some or not cut some to uh, get that, you know, to be able to afford that $250 car loan or mm-hmm. that, you know, $1,700 mortgage payment when initially you thought you'd only have a $1,500 one, but man, that house looks great and you really want right. to go for it, right? You got so, pre-approved for this much amount. Yeah. If I had to like say what my job is, a lot of, I would say that um, I help people translate those numbers into like what it means for their life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a software that you use for that? Excel? Do you use mint.com? 
That's all, right? <laughs> um, She's pointing to her head. Or I, de- I was, I was saying my brain. No, um, <laughs> in my experience, but no, uh, I, I have tools that I, I teach people how to use the, the tools that I like, mm-hmm. uh, and how, and then I, I, like I said, I, I teach them how to translate that for themselves, uh, and to me, that's what I'm calling like uh, building their financial judgment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and for someone who's looking for that, you call it a break-even analysis, break-even? A break-even budget. I actually, what I teach budget. people to do, um, the two main things I do, again, is like work with people's uh, credit reports and kind of do some debt triage there. And then the other thing I do is teach them how to have the living, breathing budget, right? Oh, it's okay. like, it's not a dead piece of paper that you just like filled in the blanks at the end of the month because there's nothing you can do about that. Right. Um, this living, breathing budget is something that we are learning how to come up with the educated budget lines. We know how to update it in an easy, simple, easy, fun, God forbid, fun <laughs> manner uh, on a timely basis so that you still have time in your month to not bust through the budget and, and blow yourself out of the water. And then at the end of the month, we're connecting that budget to the bank account because it's a dead piece of paper unless the bank account confirms what you what the paper says, right? Mm-hmm. So that that's a lot of skills in there and that's why i was so happy to come on your podcast because i take budgeting really seriously Uh, my accounting background really lends to help people simplify it and and get some of that those skills that are so necessary for them yeah do you do you do this in your own personal budget oh girl (laughs) i've been doing this for years yeah you did ask me about my background i didn't tell you anything about it i mean the my love for teaching and making things applicable to other people and 100% fun that's like my first priority in life probably goes back to like rounding up the neighborhood kids and making them do um workout classes with me or something <laughs> but um yeah i i actually started getting more serious about learning my budgeting systems when i drove across country with a friend doing a rock climbing trip from like virginia to oregon and it was really important to me as a woman to like be financially on my own and pull my own weight and have that be really clear. And um, so, and also I see so many couples do what I call the tit for tat. Like, well, I paid for this. Well, yeah, but that was more than what I paid for, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, why, why are you doing that? So I really wanted to come up with this system um, to cash out is what I called it and make sure that this gentleman and I were like uh, splitting the cost equally as we went across country, which is n- is not a regular system. Like in your regular budget, you've got things that are cyclical that you barely think about and are easy to kind of figure out how to split. So this was like a more chaotic situation where we're like on the road on this trip. I think we took probably two or three months. So that's where I kind of got my start um, and grew from there. But yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. You mentioned risk assessment. Yeah. And I think for a lot of our listeners, they've never had $5,000 in their bank account. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're saving and they see, oh, this is actually starting to pile up. Um, and I think a big question is, well, is homeownership risky? Uh, what are the risk in- risks involved? I think the same questions are asked of, should I put this into an investment account? Is that risky? What if there's a recession? What if the market, the, what if I buy my home and the next day the, the market crashes? Do you have concerns from your clients about these types of things? And how do you address those? Oh, Kyle, the other most fun part of my job. So so cash assessment, um, when someone comes in and they've got their chunk of cash and they're like, 
I first want to point out that everyone has financial judgment and everyone does budget. It's just that normally we budget based off of not bringing our account below zero because we know we get bank fees. So I want to recognize you all do budget. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing is that we're all balance oriented. So we look at a a savings account of 5,000 and we feel... um, like really good about ourselves we feel secure but the fact of the matter is is you haven't broken that money down some of it's already spoken for for other things that you know about but you just don't have a system to assess it Mm -hmm. um so that's one of the things i go through with people uh at various times and you know i have i have a system if you want me to explain it to you. Yeah, let's hear it. Okay. (laughs) Goes back to that financial health piece. So um, first of all, because everyone has a checking floor where it zero is the balance you don't go below, I'm like, let's raise that floor Mm -hmm. so that you're no longer continually stressed out about your cash flow, right? Right. Like uh, people are just looking at that daily and it can be very stressful. So I say, let's raise it to 100. Let's raise it to five. If you can hack it, let's raise it to 1,000. Whatever is a simple, easy number that you can see at the end of the month, if you've gone below your floor, something's wrong with your budget that you spent more than you brought in. Mm -hmm. And so if you never spent a day on your budget, simply having that floor in place would be a red flag like, whoa, 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 I'm in, I'm, something's wrong. And what's nice about that checking floor being higher is now instead of just having a green zone and a red zone, which is what people right. usually the exist in. You've, yeah, you've got you've got this yellow zone. You've like, oh, yeah. I'm below my floor. Something's wrong. Maybe I don't have time to look into it, but I know I do have to uh, replenish that before I am capable of doing other things with yeah. my money. Would you call that the emergency fund then? Uh, or no, different? no, I wouldn't. I mean, it is people's first mini emergency fund. Now, uh-huh. remember, someone's checking floor can be a hundred dollars. Sure. I let the person decide what sounds motivating for them. Um, so there's their checking floor. And then I come up with a system uh, that I call the annuals system. Uh, you can call it whatever you want because cool. sometimes my words are weird. Um, and these are the uh, expenses that you have that are not monthly. So it's your car tags, um, it's birthdays, it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's anything need or want oriented that is a total non-negotiable. Non-negoti- like you can't say no or you have to pay that. Um, car and some of it is a little unexpected but not really like car maintenance a doctor copay I mean you know those type of things yeah um those things are the things by far that throw our clients into credit card debt um so if I can get them to see those things as bills Mm-hmm. Uh, and get them to essentially prepay those bills like on a monthly basis. Not only will it help them really understand what their life actually costs, um, but then now they'll have this fund t- to pay for that or at the very least take a huge part of the edge off when, uh, again, you know, that $400 car tag comes through if you have a new car or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um so I, that's where I see most of my success clients like that tool the most. Cool. There's something else I was going to say about that, but I can't remember. What, do you, what are oh. people? Oh, go ahead. Well, a side note that's really helpful if you are thinking about home ownership is we talk about it in our classes. Like you were a renter. You never had to think about sewer and garbage and all these quarterly um, expenses that come up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you can look all that stuff up and estimate it when you um, – are looking at the house but unless you convert that into like what that would cost monthly for you to save it's really hard for people to see 
what they would have to sacrifice to afford that. So I kind of, um, you know, and it, it can be quite high. Like I look at my personal wants, you know, I live in Hawaii. It's a non-negotiable for me. I go home every year to see my family. It's very important. Um, and I have a few other things in there that I'm not willing to compromise on. I save $300 a month just for my annual wants. It costs my husband right. and I probably 170 a month for our uh, annual needs, just taking care of the house, the dog, um, and our car, basically. And so building that into the budget helps us be super concrete into like, this is what we're capable of. Yeah, that's such a great tip. A lot yeah. of folks wouldn't think about, oh, my annual flight home is $300 a month. They might just say, oh, it's three grand at the end of December instead of the three grand or the 300 a month yeah yeah people great. always know about it i mean you know especially around christmas time we were looking at how long does it take people to pay off their credit cards after christmas and it takes three to 12 months for people to pay those credit card balances wow. off and they know it's coming right you know and it, and some folks have already are doing a form of this they've got the the christmas fund with their payroll department and they put away money that way but mm -hmm. so it's just kind of a version of that yeah but after that that's when the emergency fund comes in and i don't want any of you out there to think that this is unattainable for you at all because um small savings matters you can get there and once you have that annual fund that stops throwing you into this regular uh credit card debt cutting your savings down you can really start adding to that emergency fund um and then of course once we have that that cash to work with um aka tax return such a good time of year right like here we get this chunk of money hopefully uh that you can kind of just pre-fund a lot of these accounts yeah. then we can i totally educate people on the proper investment places for those cool mm -hmm. what are people most surprised about when they look at their budget at the end of the year and say oh i i didn't plan for that or you know or you say, hey, you should also budget for this expense. And they say, I never thought of that. What are people Well, I do have to tell you. Um, so I make my entire class take the, um, the pledge that um, as long as they're working with me, they will never, ever, ever do mental accounting ever again. <laughs> ah, okay. Mental accounting is like, oh, Katie, I think I spend three fifty on my groceries. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, no. And we just, we just, I'm an accountant background. It's not going to happen. Nope. You know, um, we print the transactions from last month. We categorize it right there. And that is where people are shocked. They're shocked at what they spend on groceries. They're shocked at what they spend on their, what I call the wants. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't care how much you spend on um, eating out versus entertainment versus kid expenses. To some degree, um, it's wants versus needs is how I simplify. Yeah. Uh, and I can use myself as an example, like, you know, when I first did that, I was spending $800 a month on my wants. And I was like, whoa, that's almost 50% of my income. I work hard for that money. Yeah. I don't remember what I spent it on. Like, where's that going? And it's been a process of cutting that down. And now I have it down to $300 a month. There you go. And so people saying, oh, it's either buying a house or foregoing everything I love. You know, I... I like the latte in the morning. Do I have to cut everything out? What do you say to those folks that say, you know, I want to start saving, but I also enjoy, I also have some wants. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, I say, I say anything is uh, achievable. I give people a plan for what they want on the timeline they want. 
And it's up to them whether they can achieve it or not because I'm not going to judge if someone's capable of doing it or not. People have shocked me as to what they're capable of and other people give up really easily, (laughs) you know. Um, And so it's all about like being real with yourself about what your standard of living costs, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've cut from eight to three. You'll often find that once you have a simple, fun, easy system of watching it, um, you still are really satisfied and happy with your life. uh, And you've just aligned what you spend your money on with your priorities. And a product is that savings becomes fun because it gives you what you want. Yeah. Where should people store these savings when they're saving up for a down payment? whether it's 5% of a home or 10% and they're, where should they park this money? Yeah, I I saw that question you sent me and I was interested by that. So, you know, um, I love hearing people's different strategy because you learn so much, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, initially my husband and I were like, no, we are not paying mortgage insurance premiums. We will put 20% down. Uh, obviously, I told you earlier, I have the super saver husband of the world. So he's been saving for a house since he was 16. Um, so we were able to achieve that on our first house. Um, my His best friend um, is very investor-minded. And he had to buy a house in Portland, where he lives, Portland, okay. Oregon. Um, and so his perspective was, I'm going to put the minimum down, save all the rest of this cash for home improvements, because I know I'm in a good market, and the value is going to re- go up. Uh, then I'll refinance and get the mortgage insurance premiums off of my loan Mm -hmm. now that maneuver um is exciting because that now we're learning that we didn't even know that was possible right so that's an exciting maneuver uh and you just have to do information gathering about where it's at you know loans have gotten harder to get and now their restrictions are loosening up a little bit so um is it advantageous to do that we would just need to talk to a loan officer and find out you Mm -hmm. know but um so there's two different I just, my job is to make sure people know the spectrum of strategy. Yeah. So that, your tolerance for risk also factors into that. Yeah. You know, I love, in my class, I love this part, the risk. I'm like, okay, everybody make me a face if you just won the lottery. And everyone's like, yeah. Right. And then I'm like, okay, now make a face for me if you sat on a cactus. And they're like, whoa. You know, like, <laughs> and, it, and I like to connect that because... People will avoid a cactus because they know they have that judgment because of physical pain that that is not a good thing to do, right? Right. Um, when it comes to your finances, I teach people how to translate the numbers so they know what is financially painful and a cactus versus what is winning the lottery. And where we do that in my class is specifically with the debt ratio. Okay. You know, I say to so tell me, Kyle, in layman's terms, if you were approved for a loan at forty-seven um, percent debt ratio. Um, meaning 47% of your income was going to debt. Yeah. Translate for me, what would that mean for you in your life? Yeah, that would mean I'd have to make some sacrifices um, <laughs> and, and Yeah, and yeah. even more specifically, it would mean one out of two of your paychecks a month, if you get paid twice, are going straight to debt. So yep. can you get sick? Probably not. Can you uh, go on vacation? Yeah, definitely not. Can you change your job because you hate it? No, you can't do any of those things. You and this is when people feel feel um, chained to their job, and they feel like life is just about um, paying bills, and they have no freedom. And that's a really sad place to see folks. And you can get out from under it. Uh, of course, that's part of what I do. But right. that I try to catch people on the front end before they make those decisions with their debt, um, because. 
and people talk about this like wanting to buy a house I forget how they the realtors say it. it's like you don't want the house to own you you want to have be excited not yeah. buyer's remorse so um yeah that ha- but if you don't know what life costs you and you haven't come to me to get your financial judgment piece you don't know how to do those translations it, that it's so easy to just not know what you're walking into mm-hmm. live sort of vicariously through your bank account whatever's in there you spend no i mean people make emotional decisions they say this is great market this is good quality house um this is a fantastic investment i feel good about this well that's a part of the process but the other part is we need to have that emotional judgment uh complemented by some financial judgment what do the numbers say for you and what does that mean on a daily basis for the next 10 years for you (laughs) right right um yeah it this is amazing it sounds like you teach the financial fitness class but i'm guessing that folks come into your class thinking okay i'm here for a few hours i'm going to learn about budgeting and they leave feeling pretty empowered Heck yeah. That's pretty cool. Rock your socks up. That's got to I mean, be pretty fun. I uh, I have a short attention span. I really try to make things interactive and interesting yeah. uh, and fun. And so I think we accomplish that in the class. I don't teach all the sections. We bring experts in for a lot of them. Um, and we have a great time. I wish my job wasn't so easy. I really wish we taught this in high school yeah. um, because then I'd have to work harder. But... <laughs> Where does uh, where do the financial planners of the world fit into this conversation? You know, yeah, do you fabulous consider yourself question. a financial planner, or is this something that everybody should have? And I know you always hear on different podcasts we are not financial planners; we cannot give tax advice. But what what are those disclaimers? I guess back to my first question: How do you get access? Kind of, or, or when? Do, yeah, when does someone meet with a financial planner? Should they? Yeah, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna back that question up a little bit and say that I absolutely tell people that um, you need to be building your financial team and I start that off with being like so who's your financial quarterback because I know it's mm-hmm. me right now and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be you're not paying me right this <laughs> is a free today, program yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, I do encourage people to to see it that way because you know you have a dentist you have an eye doctor you have uh, hopefully eventually you'll have a primary care physician like you learn how to interact with them and um, but you trust them because they're the experts in that it's the same for your taxes your insurance your investments you you know you you do need help and and you need to get those good relationships. Um, I think the topic of financial planners is, is really interesting. I'm currently studying to become a certified financial planner cool. um, because it makes sense, not that it's required for my job. Um, and I think what we're seeing in the industry is that there um, aren't that many people for the middle class who are serving as financial planners. You know, a financial planner is doing what I'm doing. They're making sure you're, you know how to budget. They're making sure you uh, have a debt plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, the steps above that, making sure you have a great credit score. The steps above that is then the investing, the tax planning, the estate planning, the insurance. Uh, you know, it's like you work so hard for all this stuff. And if you don't insure it, it can literally be taken away in one day, right? Mm-hmm. So um, financial advisors are starting, like at the investment firms, I think are starting to broaden their services for folks. But my experience with my clients is that um, I still need to teach them how to ask the educated questions and engage with those people to get that service out of them. And that might be a combination of, you know, every financial advisor has hundreds of clients. So, you know, they work with the people who seek out 
their their services. Right. I mean, everyone's paying them. You're all paying them to do this job. Yeah. Um, but you kind of have to ask to get the service a little bit. And yeah. I don't think that's anyone's fault. I think that's a part of being an informed consumer. How are people paying them? Well, uh, so let's hopefully most of the listeners have like a um, retirement plan through their employer, right? Some sort of IRA, 401k, 403b, something yeah, like that. And, and if you have it through your employer, you can you can have an IRA, which is an individual retirement account at your bank. So that's a different situation. Okay. Um, but if you have it with an investment firm, either an in-service investment firm, like many that we have in town, Dave Davidson, Merrill Lynch, Edward Jones, you're that's a person you can walk in and talk to. Um, and then there's the online brokers, which is your Charles Schwab, your Vanguard. Um, when you work with those folks, you're paying. There's layers, layers of fees that you're paying. And I don't want to shock people around fees because it does seem scary. Um, my fees I paid last year, it, it uh, were like two fifty. Uh, I had my financial advisor make me a fee report because it's n- impossible to find out from statements, right? Yes. So when I break it down, it's more than what I pay for Hulu, but not by much. So I'm happy right. to pay for a human um, based off that. Then mm-hmm. that's my own assessment. And so you're paying for them because, yeah, you just are. And Got I can it. educate you more about that when you see me one-on-one. No, that makes sense. <laughs> so Cool. Yeah. I think it's time for our closing time segment. So closing time, I guess the first question we typically ask our guests, what are the biggest myths that you see around home buying that you find that you're correcting your clients? You know, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe around financial planning in general. Okay. Yeah. It's it's true that um, I don't work with people a ton directly with the home buying because I'm catching people that are a year to five years out. So sure. I'm dealing more directly with other issues. So... Uh, I can't answer. You're right. I can't answer that question super well. It's a tough one. I think the biggest myth I would say about uh, financial planning is people think budgets are lame or a bummer or not fun. And I say you just got to up your standards. I mean, um, I make them fun. Uh, Mm. I make them simple and easy. Uh, And that's step one. You know, like I said, I work with 18-year-old boys and I work with 60-year-old women. So I really let people, I always tell people, this is a collaborative process and I'm gonna, you're going to modify the tools and systems I give you for how your brain works and how your life works. Um, so I think that's the myth. I think they think that budgeting sucks and it doesn't. It's awesome. Start a budget. Get started. Have fun. Well, come talk to me so you do it right. Because Talk to Katie. Yeah. Have some fun with the budgeting. You know, honestly, people try for years and years and years and they fail and fail and fail and that's why they give up. And um, these these like financial management skills, uh, there's something to be taught. I mean, it's like you're in a dark room looking for the switch. It's not rocket science. It's like once I show people this, they pick it up, they turn their situations around. It doesn't take long. Literally, I see people once a month for four months. And in that four months, I'm generally seeing people have at least 500 more dollars in their savings. And they're just like really on their way to change. That's so, cool. um, so I lost my train. Have you thought. used mint.com? Mint, um, do you enjoy behavioral science? Yeah, things like Malcolm Gladwell sort of. Well, I guess what I'd say about that is like, you know, you folks are in media, so you appreciate people and you appreciate how they think, right? Right. And that's integral to change. 
right? So, and change can ha- we're, can talk about that with anything. Here we're talking about it with your budgeting and finances. Mint, in my opinion, doesn't work because it categorizes the transactions for you. Um, so you are not actually seeing what you're spending money on. And it um, and if there's any mistakes, you don't really want to clean it up because it, it entails you going into each expense or what I see is kind of like a pile and having to clean it up. People don't like cleaning up messes. Right. So there, I find my clients who use Mint are generally less informed and it doesn't really work as well for them. Okay. It has some great visuals and I would say there is one hardcore percent of my clients that are just diehard Mint fans and they really love it. It is a free product, so that's f- great. Um, the product I like to use actually is Dave Ramsey's product, um, everydollar.com. And the reason I really like that one, there's a free version of it and there's a paid version. The paid version is like $10 a month and there's a free trial. I highly recommend the, the paid version. It's, uh, very easy to modify. So mm-hmm. you, you can categorize it into needs versus wants, which is what I do for even my poorest of poor clients. Cause even then we can see where they have opportunity to save because wants are wants, you know, right. even though they're hard to give up. Um, and it's, you click and drag the transactions over. So you're informally, you know, even in a quick, fun way, reviewing what you've spent your money on. So you're learning like, what are my triggers? Where am I going? When am I going? Why did I do that? You know, and it, it so people can start being a little more empowered about their spending. And also it's a fun game. It's like, ooh, click, drag, click, drag. It's like, you know, you take a pile and you're cleaning it up. Like people, you know, I don't know. It, yeah. It, my clients generally very much like it. Cool. And that was Dave Ramsey's everydollar.com and I I do want to emphasize for everyone out there um, because I'm sure your listeners are very broad you know I teach people how to do budgeting with paper and pen and I teach them how to do it with apps and I teach them in between as well like a hybrid Um, so the app might not work the best for you um, but it's fabulous for other especially if you have multiple people spending money like my couples so mom and dad are spending money and maybe a kid or two Mm -hmm. and when you have multiple people spending money and when you have multiple accounts you are tracking it's very laborsome to do it by paper and pen and that's where an app is super helpful i think i track probably 10 plus accounts with my budget Mm -hmm. cool can you recommend a book for our listeners around financial literacy yeah i have a real favorite actually uh gene chatsky who used to be kind of the financial guru for m i think msn MSNBC? MSNBC, Jean Chatsky. Um, She has this uh, tiny book called Money Rules, and it's cartoon-based. Like every page has like a cartoon on it and a little nugget. And it was a really fun way uh, for my husband and I to just like flip and read right before we went to bed and just start the conversation about money because him and I have – um, different money hangups and different money management styles. So um, it took several years for us to find, go from independent spenders to where we have joint money and we're getting ready for, you know, growing a family and having mm-hmm. that joint ownership. It took a lot of years and really just like a tool and a system we could trust and learn to communicate through um, to then build the trust about each other's spending. You know, initially he was just, uh, came from a family that, might have spent a lot and so he was weary about what his partner would spend you know so yeah cool so yeah so that's a a little one but i got tons okay i got a lot how about one more give us an option give us a second second choice here well kyle how do you like to take your information in are you like super thorough and you want the whole shabam or do you want just like 
let's go with uh, 200 pages or more because we got the we got the book that you recommended. The little it's, one. Yep. So let's go. Let's go something a little more um, in depth. I do have to tell your listeners I'm not a very good reader, actually. Obviously, I'm accounting more numbers-oriented. Um, so a lot of my book reading has been through uh, audiobooks. Oh, that um, counts, right? Cassie, can we count audiobooks? Yeah, audiobooks count. Okay. Favorite okay. book to read or listen to? Uh, okay, yeah. So um, uh, I'm going to throw you off here, actually, and say that when it comes to your budgeting, you're always we're talking about change in your life basically so um switch by uh dan and chip heath i believe is a was a really important book for me to think about change just in general so i think you'd love that one it's called switch and then um the other books i recommend for finances are tony robbins uh money mastering the game just super thorough but has some motivating stuff in there as well John Bogle's uh, Common Sense Investing. I haven't actually read it yet, but it's uh, less than 200 pages. And he is the uh, creator of Vanguard. So the first individual to sort of bring investing, cut out the middleman and bring investing straight to the consumer. So it's like with uh, ETFs and things like that. So that's like really cool. Um, Oh, and there's one more. Oh, I got one more. I got one more. Yeah, hit us. And oh, what's that guy's name? Oh, I can't think of it. But his one is um, Smart Women Finish Rich. And he has a whole series. The other one I was reading is like Start Late and Finish Rich for my 50, 60-year-olds who maybe haven't even started saving for retirement. Mm -hmm. He's David Bach. Bach, Yeah. And so uh, I listened to a podcast of his recently. And he's um, that kind where it's like the nuggets. They're stories that he's teaching through, but the nuggets cool. are right there. So Awesome. That's an awesome list. We'll we'll put those in the show notes. So thanks for sharing those. Sorry, I'm very thorough. No, that's great. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw an audible and on the closing time question. I'm curious about what differentiates people who are successful budgeters versus those who you find, you know, get home or motivated and then quickly things start to fall off. I'm going to arrogantly tell you the successful budgeters are the ones who've come to us and gotten the education and the unsuccessful ones are the ones that don't have, didn't know how to do it. And so they're really struggling. I I mean, I guess I could get more into the psyche of people around discipline and motivation and stuff like that. But um, it just comes back to the learning cycle of like um, having a system, trying it out, reflecting upon what worked and didn't work and then... um, you know, continually reinventing that till you get where you're stoked on it, right? So I guess if anything, it's probably people who are aware that that's the learning cycle fail and failure is a part of it Mm -hmm. and how to learn from it. Um, I think that's something key. I worked a lot in with outdoor education and that's probably why my clients are so successful because I I teach to that and I prime to that really well. It seems if people are showing up to your class, they're in some way motivated to improve their budgeting. I'm very grateful for everyone who comes to my class because it is basically by word of mouth and, um, you know, they give up their Saturday or a lot of their time and they don't have to pay for it. And with this hope that they get something out of it, but there's no initial like you're going to walk away with money like you do with the first time homebuyer class kind of. Right. So, um, yeah. Cool. Last question. How can we learn more about you? How can we sign up for your class? If we're not in Montana, are there ways that we can tune in some way somehow maybe in the future there will be a 
Facebook Live of your financial fitness course? Oh, gosh. The ideas are plentiful. First of all, our <laughs> website is uh, www.homeward, and that's H-O-M-E-W-O is an octopus, R-D.org. So don't spell it wrong, but you can Google us. And uh, you can sign up for my financial fitness or my RentWise classes on the website there under classes. Um, and I do hope in the future that it would be great to have some podcasting or continued ed in that way. My dream is to actually um, have like a walking group, um, maybe not a wine dancing group, but that would be nice too. But like <laughs> the idea is that we walk along the river trail or up the M and then we can match our physical pain with our financial pain while learning. It's so therapeutic, right? It's a cool idea. <laughs> I, I think yeah. it has some traction. Yeah. So I would love to like, especially we have several graduates from our program at this point. So it'd be really nice to, and um, even empowering those graduates to be some type of mentors. I think that'd be really cool way to keep growing the the program because there's only one of me right <laughs> and i like to have a, a nice life so. and it sounds like your class is at capacity so yeah expanding it's not a capacity oh, not sign yet. up okay. yeah like we that room fits 42 people and I, like i said i usually get 20 so i'm very okay. proud of where we're at but we can have more room to grow room to grow well great well thank you for coming onto our podcast and helping to spread the message of financial fitness budgeting and all things financial literacy uh we really appreciate it Thank you so much. Yeah.